The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Big thanks to New Day, N E U D A E, for the song Lion Kings that you heard as our intro to begin the show. And James, we're going to be talking about your latest farm futures today. Also, continuing with our hip hop album countdown, moving to the number seven spot. Don't think you're going to like my pick. Uh, really? Yeah, it's all right. Well, I just know how you feel about a different album by the same duo, but your latest Farm Futures piece is entitled The First Base Prospect Conundrum, and something that's really kind of tied into that was today's big promotion of Reese Hoskins. You and I actually worked out a deal for him in in Stakely. We'll talk about that shortly, but just generally, what are your expectations for Hoskins coming up? So I think there's a chance he could go on a bit of a tear here because, I mean, to me, it kind of depends how pitchers approach him early on. He has a really quick bat, uh, a really simple swing, generates a ton of power, uh, specifically to the pull side. 
and he murders mistakes. Um, he hunts fastballs. If he gets a steady dose of fastballs early in the count in his first, you know, few series, I wouldn't be surprised if Hoskins hit like three homers in his first week or something like that. If, if pitchers kind of come in without an extremely, uh, detailed scouting report on him and they kind of just go with the oh he's a rookie i'm going to throw him fastballs and and then adjust to him but if they come in and give him a heavy dose of off-speed stuff you know i i'm not sure i I know there are scouts that are worried about his ability to hit breaking balls and and change-ups i think that that is i mean a lot of people struggle with that that's not a reason to just say that this guy's not a good prospect he he's improved his walk rate improved his strikeout rate and hit for more power all away from reading where people were kind of you know if you were a non-believer in hoskins last year it was really easy to just say well yeah he's playing half his games at reading like that's why that's why the numbers are so good but he moved to i mean lehigh valley still like skews slightly more towards offense than than pitching but still it, it's fairly neutral and and he made all those improvements still showing a ton of power uh, i think he's at 29 homers for the year uh wouldn't be surprised if he if he carried some fantasy teams here in the power department over the next couple of weeks but you know as we're going to talk about here with first base prospects especially ones like hoskins who are somewhat older like it's not it's not like he's 21 or 22 you know this is a guy that's you know he's 24 i believe uh there's like a there's a small chance that he's he ends up being a quadruple a guy and i'm just wrong about him so there's there's a variety of ways this could play out but i absolutely think there's enough upside in the home runs and uh rbis to to go out there and and make a pretty big bid on him if if he's still out there yeah i'm pretty encouraged well optimistic at least over the rest of this season because you know it typically takes some time for pitchers to adjust and the the plate skills just look so steady and safe of course the power is very real so uh, i i made the move to acquire him mainly because you know there are five five home runs basically between five standings points and then the power categories in our stake league so i figured to go get him maybe give myself a chance also could make up some some room and batting average hopefully he's not a big drag there whatsoever the only real concern is playing time he's playing left field now but when aaron, if aaron altair comes back in a couple weeks what do, what do you think happens to hoskins do you think he moves into a part-time role or what, what goes goes there i i think that he i mean he might be there second or third best hitter so i i just don't see him not playing almost every day i think you're going to see him start maybe once a week at first base get the rest of his starts in left field it, it might be pretty ugly defensively i think that i mean it's it's you just really hope he doesn't get hurt you know like when the yeah. cubs had kyle schwarber out in left field and he got hurt kind of right away you hope that his his lack of experience out there doesn't lead to an injury but i think that they're totally fine with knowing the defense is going to be really bad and just letting him get get the clock going on on facing big league pitching so that maybe he can they can they can get a sense of how he handles big league pitching uh heading into the offseason and he can kind of get a sense heading into next year what he might need to work on in the offseason so i think this is all just about getting him at bats against big league pitchers uh he's going to play in left field i think pretty much every day 
uh, when when he's not playing at first base. Yeah, you mentioned the walk rate, you know, over thirteen percent, and yeah, a lot of a lot of contact this year with the really low, you know, mid teens K rate. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. We'll see what goes on, but rest of the way, would you rather have? <clears throat> Hoskins by a decent margin over a guy like Dom Smith, who we still haven't seen yet, but uh, is believed to be on his way. Yeah, I just got an alert on my phone that Dominic Smith is getting called up. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have Hoskins. He's got more. I think I have him about forty spots higher than Smith in the top four hundred. He's just got he's got more game power right now. He's got uh, a chance to really make an impact in that category, whereas Dominic Smith. I mean, he's hit for average at pretty much every level he's ever been at. So I think there's a chance you could get a, a 280 average out of Dominic Smith the rest of the way uh, as as pitchers uh, eventually adjust to him. But I don't see him really impacting any of the counting stats the way that Hoskins is capable of. Nice. Well, I mean, you did kind of hit that in a sense to continue your streak because they did call up Ahmed Rosario and they we gotta be after, we gotta be strict here. Yeah, I mean the streak ended. It's all right, but it was close. I mean, basically you got it right, but it just wasn't. You, didn't, you said they'd get called up at the exact same time. That didn't quite happen. I'm looking forward to Brent Honeywell coming up next year or 2019, 2020. Freaking ridiculous. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Have you been stashing him the entire season? Uh, I think I picked him up in like early May. Nice. So, so it's been a while. It's been good. <laughs> but uh, anybody else that you feel like is on the verge, maybe you don't have to necessarily give a prediction. But uh, close. Yeah, there was somebody. Um, I really should be more prepared for for this because it. It's I become mean, a it week. Pretty much comes weekly bit. You know. Uh, shoot. You know, OPEC's I, not coming up, right? No. Um, you know, I don't know how. I don't know how Mark Reynolds has has been recently, but Ryan McMahon has kind of earned a shot. I think at this point, if if there was a way for the the Rockies to get kind of creative and open up a spot for him, uh, so that's a that's a guy to keep an eye on. I mean, he's he's got more upside than dominic smith if he if he gets a call just because this is a guy that will play half his games in course field has shown more power than dominic smith so you know I, I think if if they were both getting called up i'd rather have mcmahon but you know smith we we know for sure is coming up um one guy that i i'll throw out who's actually a one of your reds uh lower lower down in the rankings but having a really good year at uh at triple a now he's even he's even carried over the success he was having at double a tyler male for the uh cincinnati reds if they if they want to you know add another starting pitcher uh which i feel like pretty easy to to justify doing that uh i think tyler male actually probably gets a shot at some point here in 2017 just because of how well he's pitched in the upper levels of the minors, I think the Reds would be wise to just kind of get a look at what he looks like against uh, big league hitters before the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, he threw a no-no when he was still double-A, didn't he? That was pretty impressive. Yeah. And we've seen Luis Castillo come up, have some success. I've been really impressed with him. His are a little bit down lately, but he's really navigated a tough schedule and looked pretty impressive. Absolutely. And, and you know, may, like I, I always, you know, uh, joke about Reds pitching prospects, but Mayo is is not your typical Reds pitching prospect. He's more, 
you know, he's more floor than ceiling. He gets by on a low nineties fastball. He's really able to locate and you know, that, that might be kind of a nice change for, for Reds fans getting to see a guy that actually can, can throw strikes and, and maybe be more efficient with his pitches, go a little deeper into games. I don't think Mail has the same kind of upside of some past Reds pitching prospects that have maybe not worked out as well, but I think he, he definitely will be in that rotation for quite a while. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, glad to see you took another shot to kick us Reds fans while we're down. But no, Well, I mean, no, yeah, that's, that's encouraging. You know, we... we we got a shout out on yeah. Twitter for not talking enough Reds last week. That was so, so like ironic, yeah. you know, because I was just like, "All right, I'll spare our listeners this one time." Yeah. Turns out, <laughs> turns out we have, a, we have one person who's just dying. For we it. have a niche audience. Like, they, <laughs> there's a, there's a small faction of people that come to this pod for for Redstock. Well, I'll be sure not to ever skip over Redstock again. But moving on to your latest Farm Futures piece, the first base prospect conundrum, and this kind of was its idea for this was seemingly born out of this conversation you were having with Bobby DeMuro on on Twitter and you kind of pointed out that a couple 2017 draftees Pavin Smith Evan White kind of on the opposite ends of the spectrums in terms of spectrum in terms of what they're doing in the power department in the early going Bobby said you know kind of said that there's not much you can read into this because he, in his opinion kind of need a thousand professional at bats to really draw any conclusions but why do you disagree here to me i i, I you know bobby is great I, he he's the he awesome pr- proprietor over at uh, baseball census i would definitely go check out his website if, if you're into he, he doesn't do fantasy but he i mean he gets eyes on on a ton of prospects we're looking uh, at like tweeting out gifts and stuff too. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, I definitely go give Bobby a follow and and check out the stuff they do over there uh, in terms of live looks at prospects. But uh, to me, it's it's just a philosophical thing on you know n- not all position player prospects. I, I don't treat them all the same in terms of what I'm looking for and when I'm looking for it. Like if you're a if you're a college first base prospect. I, you know, I think the clock ticks a little faster in terms of when we need to see production and and the type of impact that we need to see because there's just not much of a track record of all at all of college first base prospects kind of really really slowly developing power that then gets to the point where they profile as even just like an average big league first baseman offensively. I mean, he, you know, Paven Smith, obviously, maybe the best approach in the draft, maybe the second best hit tool in the draft, uh, but that's just not enough at first base. Like, you need to have impact with the bat. And, you know, maybe, maybe he could play, you know, if he was a second baseman, shortstop, center fielder, catcher, then just having that great hit tool and that great approach is more than enough. But at first base, and especially as a, as a college first baseman, I think it's notable that he hasn't hit a home run yet as a professional, especially considering that that was the only real question we had about him coming out of Virginia was, is he going to hit for enough power to profile first base? And, uh, you know, friend of the show, Chris Welch, um, speculated to me at, at back at the time of the draft that they might try Smith in left field where there'd be a little less pressure on the power. But, you know, we've seen this Diamondbacks regime uh, really 
you know, kind of get tired of a guy like Yasmani Tomas, who is all bat, no glove. Um, I'm not sure how pay, how much they'd be willing to deal with Taven Smith likely being a below average defender in left field just to kind of get his take a little pressure off his bat so and he and he's only played first base since entering their organization so i still think we have to view him as a first baseman and i'm not saying he's a terrible prospect i think i still have him ranked around 125 in the the top 400 so you know he's he's certainly a guy that will be drafted in dynasty league drafts um this offseason and you know he he's a guy that I'm, I'm definitely not writing off i just think it is noteworthy that he has not shown much power yet yeah i'm with you and really you illustrate the point really well later in the the piece because you mentioned a complete list you you lay out a complete list of players who are drafted as college first baseman and qualified as a league average or better hitter at first base at least once over the past five years and failed to hit at least five home runs in their first taste of pro ball the list is short i mean trey mancini yonder alonzo justin smoke mitch moreland lucas duda and aside from you know Mancini, who's broken out a little bit earlier than expected, a lot of these guys late bloomers, and really even still not really big. Aside from Smoke, I guess big power guys relative to others at the position. Right. I mean, it's it's not a list. It's it's not a group of five first basemen that you would want the number eight overall pick to <laughs> compare to, and he doesn't even really compare. Like these guys all hit like you know Duda hit four homers uh, in in his the year he was drafted. Mitch Moreland hit a couple the year he was drafted. Justin Smoke hit three in just fourteen games the year he was drafted. Uh, Mancini hit three. Uh, Yonder Alonso only hit zero because he only played six games. The next year he went out and and did a bit better. But uh, yeah, I mean if you were a dynasty league owner, I mean and and half of these guys were low pedigree guys that went you know outside of the top 100 picks so they wouldn't have even really been on the dynasty league radar back when they were drafted a guy like smoke definitely was a guy like yonder alonzo definitely was but if you were a dynasty league owner and had alonzo or smoke as a prospect you probably hate both of them because Mm -hmm. they never paid off for you until this year they were nothing exactly so uh i mean it's it's still totally fair i think to label both those guys as if not busts then you know certainly very underwhelming uh first base first baseman based on where they were drafted and you know that that's only a five-year sample i just didn't really want to take the time to go back and dig up a bunch more i felt like five years kind of proved the point but you know you look at a lot of the top first baseman just over the past five years these guys you know paul goldschmidt his first year in pro ball hit like 18 homers in 60 some games uh, i mean there's you know you're not you're not comparing everyone to paul goldschmidt but a, a lot of the times the guys that end up being good first basemen you go back and look at their first season and they just they've raked from the moment they got into pro ball and i think it's just something to kind of keep tabs on i'll oh also um shout out to the guy on twitter who i I tweeted this out and i I said how evan white has three home runs he's like dude evan white's only played in like eight games man like it's like well he's played in 14 and i think it's pretty impressive that he's hit three in 14 games i'm sorry um but yeah it's it's uh 
just something I first base is just a different position. It's not like the up the middle spots. It's not even like third base. If you're a first baseman, you typically don't have anywhere to go. Um, a lot of the guys that have finished as top or average or better first baseman over that, that span I was looking at, they were drafted as outfielders. They were drafted as third baseman, you know, cause that's first base is where you end up when you can't go anywhere else. When you're drafted as a first baseman, there's just so much more pressure put on your bat and you don't have a ton of time you know yeah. look a guy like reese hoskins people are still hesitant to buy in just because of how old he is i mean he was a college guy he was a fifth rounder i believe um people just aren't going to give you the benefit of the doubt at that position even when you're a guy like hoskins and you're just hitting for a ton of power all the way up the ladder everyone's still going to kind of look at you with with kind of a wary eye and i think that's even going to be more so the case in the years ahead because the old rule that you need your first baseman to hit for power is only more so true in, in today's hitting environment i mean this i guess we can safely call it the juice ball era because i don't really have much doubt about that myself anymore but he can't be getting lackluster power production from that position like even like matt carpenter mm-hmm. look what he's doing i mean that bat playing at <clears throat> At second base or third even might have been okay, but having that bat right now at first base, I think has set the Cardinals offense back. He went like 30 some games without a home run. And that's just not acceptable at that position. Right. I mean, like I I have one of the main reasons I'm, or there's a lot of reasons why I'm going to be buying a couple stakes uh, in (laughs) October, but uh, you know, I've got like Henry Morales and, uh, Danny Valencia are guys that have been in my lineup all year, both first basemen, both like if you just look at their numbers and like, you know, take it uh, in like a 2010 context, you're like, oh, that's fine. But, you know, 17, 17 home runs and like a 270 average at this point in the season is underwhelming for a first baseman. And you just you got to be impactful there. It's just it's it's kind of unfair i mean these guys get get judged so harshly coming up i mean if they you know if you're looking at like what what a first baseman's numbers were at some level like if if they've got like a 110 wrc plus 115 wrc plus like you're looking at that as a bad thing like that's not good enough at first base like you you need to be 125 130 135 like for for anyone to really pay much attention to you at all it's it's just it's a tough position to hold down so this is a really good piece, but we've hit on a lot of the main points. Anything else you want to add here? Uh, no, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I was looking at my, all the first basemen I've ranked in the top 400. Uh, and this is, you know, we have them labeled by the position that they're currently playing. So a guy like Ryan McMahon, even though he might end up at first base, he's, he's not labeled as a first baseman. I only have 26 guys <laughs> in the entire top 400 that are, qualified right now as first baseman and i you know to put that in perspective this seems really weird but i have 32 catchers so i have more catchers than first baseman in the top 400 and that just kind of speaks to how difficult it is to really buy into a first base prospect like they really have to be doing something special or have you know youth or pedigree on their side to the point where you're going to give them a bit of a leash you know, a guy like Matt Theis, who was a top, uh, I want to say top 15 pick um, last year, he's barely in the top 200 now, 
and he was drafted as a first baseman just because he, he's he's just never really hit for enough power and you know that that's the the thing that's facing a guy like smith if he i mean if he starts hitting for power next year that average that that um those plate skills you know coupled with with the the chance for plus power is going to move him up rankings but if he if we're talking this time next year and paven smith's hit like seven home runs at presumably low a maybe high a he'll be falling down the rankings that's just the way it is yeah and to give you an idea of you know for fantasy just how critical power is at first base i mean you look at a guy like josh bell who was surprised with his power production this season but batting 253 right now 19 homers 19 homers and that, those counting sets only good enough to rank him according to our earned auction values tool 20th to this point among first basemen mm-hmm. you know you just gotta have significant pop there especially in fantasy real life too and we're seeing that more but if you're not getting elite power production from first base, I mean, you're just behind the pack in most fantasy categories. But James, great stuff as always. Check out his latest farm futures piece for yourself. Go to wire.com slash pod for free 10 day trial. If you do not have a subscription, let's talk a little bit about that trade real quick, because you got, I traded you Reese Hoskins or you traded me Reese Hoskins and uh, <clears throat> Chris Davinsky for Fulte and Jeff Hoffman. So I know you've always been a big faulty guy, but what are your expectations for them the rest of the way? Uh, it, you know, it, it kind of came down to a, I, I needed strikeouts. I needed uh, a chance to get wins. Um, if I hadn't made this trade, I would have probably been bidding more than $0 on a guy like Marco Gonzalez, just cause he was on two starts. Uh, it, it, it was a tough spot. Like I've, I've been saving some fab. I've been unwilling all season to deploy uh, starting pitchers that I didn't have some level of confidence in just cause I, I wanted to protect my ratios, but we're getting to a point in the season where, you know, I, if I want to not buy, which to me, it seems it's an impossible thought, but if I, if I hope to not buy multiple stakes, then I need to, start gaining ground in some of the counting stat categories. And if, if I go on a run in strikeouts and wins, I can move way up because there's a lot of people bunched up in those categories. And, you know, I've always liked, I, I haven't always liked uh, Fulton I, I didn't really like him that much when he was an Astros prospect, but uh, towards, you know, the later half of last season, I really started to be drawn to, just how electric his stuff can be when he's on. And, and he's obviously shown that in a few starts this year where he's racked up double digit K's, uh, been, been borderline unhittable at times. Obviously he's a, he's a whip drain. Uh, he's got a start at course field coming up uh, this, this next lineup period. So he'll, he'll probably sink me in, in ERA and whip uh, sooner than later, but I've always liked him just in general. So I th- I, I'm confident in the strikeouts I'll get from him. I'm not really confident in anything else. Jeff Hoffman's kind of a, a poor man's version of Fulton Evich, where I, when he's on, he can miss a lot of bats. Yeah, but. there's like a full run difference between his ERA and, and FIP right now, but of course, you know, half your starts at Coors yeah. takes away from that. And hopefully I'll be able to, uh, you know, when, when he's on just one start and it's at Coors, I'll, I'll hopefully have the uh, the will to, to keep him on my bench. Um but yeah, I, I just I needed 
starting pitchers that I could start without being absolutely terrified because the guy, the best guys out on waivers were like Marco Gonzalez, like I said, uh, Anthony Banda, Vance Worley. Like those are, are literally like the, the three best starting pitchers out there on waivers right now. And it's, it's really hard to trade for competent starting pitching in that league. Like I, I got offered, I put Billy Hamilton on the block. I got offered uh, Cole Hamels by one owner. I got offered Irvin Santana by one owner. I mean, that's, that's how protective people are of their starting pitching. Um, really painful for me to let Reese Hoskins go, but I felt like I could gain more ground in the pitching categories than I could in the, the hitting categories over the final two months. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of an important lesson because, you know, you said, you know, man, I'm reluctant to do this. I'm feeling like a proud popper right now with, with Hoskins set to debut. And I think a lot of people are like that. Like, man, I've stashed this guy for a while. I don't really want to trade him, but now is about the, the, the peak, I guess. I mean, unless you're Cody Bellinger and you're going a crazy tear, mm-hmm. expectations are still sky high. We haven't seen him struggle, Hoskins yet against against major league pitching. At least explore and, and keep an open mind because there may be the the right deal that comes along that can help you and where you have the most opportunity to gain ground. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, it, like if you look at this trade like a week ago, I wouldn't have been able to get hardly anything for a guy like Probably Reese Hoskins. Be able to get one of those two. Yeah, and then now I can turn him into basically both of them. Uh, I, I'm terrified. Devensky's no slouch, but I'm not going to even put him in my lineup right away. Yeah, I mean, Devensky's, he's a guy that definitely should be owned in a league like this, but not a guy you start every week, ideally, although I'd been starting him all year because I'm a buyer. Uh, but yeah, Hoskins, like, I'm, I'm terrified that he's going to go hit, like, three home runs this week. I mean, he's... Uh, he's got that potential to make me really regret this deal, but it's just, it's a tough market out there. And if I wanted to add starting pitching, you got to give something to get something. Yeah. I think we're both resigned to the fact that this will work out poorly for both of us. And we'll right. both we'll, be at the buyer's. Yeah. Day. We'll both buy a couple stakes. Yeah, four stakes between us. It'll <laughs> be fun. Well, James, again, thank you for your insight. We will move on to our hip hop discussion. Now, uh, last week we, we touched on number eight on our all time hip hop countdowns. And this is just, you know, this is a fun exercise, but uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I, I think there may be some, not backlash, but just some disagreement because a few weeks ago, well, this is probably months ago now, we disagreed as to what the best Eric B. and Rakim album was. I, I continue to stand by Paid in Full being better than Follow the Leader. And I mean, it's not, it's, it's not, yeah. You're, you're the one that's, I mean, most people, I think, would probably side with you. I'm the I one guess, that's yeah. kind of out on a limb there, I think. I guess it was because your Twitter poll had, like, you were, you're beating me significantly there, but there's only a few people weighing in. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking by Peyton Full, and that's coming in at number seven for me. Just an all-time great album. You still hear these songs kind of ripped off regularly among uh, modern-day hip-hop artists. Great stuff, I mean... Move the Crowd, maybe one of my favorite songs. I ain't no joke. Eric B. on the Cut. Even the songs like Chinese Arithmetic that really are just beats, you know, no real verses or rhymes really stand out because you can turn that on and just like any other song, really, you don't really notice that there's, you know, no lyrics. You just kind of groove to the beat and really from top to bottom, this is a, an all time classic. I mean, you're going, the last, last week you had, uh, public enemy and this week you got eric b and rakim i mean you could argue that those these two albums uh 
it was, it takes a nation of millions, right? Is yeah. what you had last week. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you could argue that it takes a nation of millions to hold us back and, uh, paid in full two of maybe the three or four most influential hip hop albums yeah. of all time. I mean, the, the, the amount of, uh, times that other, that, that more modern rappers have either, uh, bitten a line or sampled a specific flow from the, these albums. I mean, it's just, it's really nonstop, especially kind of in that early nineties, mid nineties mm-hmm. era where, you know, a lot of the rappers were coming up listening to the, this album. Um, you know, definitely a, a classic, not a very long album, only uh 10 tracks. So if you haven't heard it, I mean, you can go listen to it and just your, your car ride to work, you probably get through most of it. So yeah, I guarantee you'll hear a song if you haven't heard it before and you'll be like, Oh, that's like, I know three people who ripped that song off. Right. Um, and you probably heard, you probably heard the ripped off version on a lot of these first yeah. and didn't, you thought, wow, man, that was a cool flow by that exactly. guy. And then you're like, Oh, he just completely bit what Rakim did on paid in full. Yeah. I think paid in full and takes a nation of millions. That could be one and two on any list. And I wouldn't bat an eye. Sure. Whatsoever. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, move the crowd may be my, my favorite song, but I know you got soul is amazing. Tough to pick an all time favorite. Of course, the title track is amazing, but yeah, I think move the crowd has the slight edge for me. One of my favorite songs of all time. What comes in at number seven for you, James? Well, this one, already checked in on your top 10 uh but i have it a tiny bit higher uh jay-z's blueprint back-to-back weeks with a with a jay-z album for me um people that know me probably won't be too surprised by that uh i mean we talked about blueprint back when you you had a would you have a nine yeah um yeah nine yeah so you know to me you know 2001 blueprint comes out i was I, I banged that album for, you know, maybe like a year straight where I would almost listen to it, if not every day, uh, at least several times each week. Like I, that's how long that stayed in heavy rotation for me and uh, really was my favorite album of all time for, for quite a while. I mean, it wasn't until I, you know, mid mid to late 2000s that, other albums started to pass it not necessarily albums that were released after it but just other albums you know as i kind of you know had everything at my disposal some other albums jumped ahead of it a little bit but still checking in pretty high for me at at number seven um you know obviously the the production on that album's just flawless uh you know a lot of producers just right at right at the peak of their abilities and this was kind of a jay-z was before he released this album i think his you know his stock was kind of down because he had just come off the the dynasty album that that was you know you had memphis bleak and beanie siegel and uh you know he was he was on like every third verse on that album so i mean that even though some of those tracks had some potential and some of them ended up being uh, pretty good songs. Like definitely not a classic album by any stretch, you know, volume two, volume three, solid albums, but not, you know, he'd kind of been in a four album slump without putting out a true classic after a reasonable doubt. And then he, he releases blueprint. And then I think a lot of people kind of started to look at him again as maybe the best, uh, hip hop artist alive. So, I mean, it was, it was a huge turning point sort of for him in his career. Yeah, man, the, uh, this was a hell of a way to bust out of a slump and 
you know, he even admitted too, and I forget which track it is. I should know it, but you know, he kind of admitted that you know he had to go in a different direction after that Rock La Familia. I'm like, if you want something, you got to drop a mill and yeah, oh yeah, right. I forget exactly what the line was, but he knew that you know he was the guy who was carrying that, and really some of those members of Rock La Familia were were bringing him down. Yeah, and this is a a unique album for me in that you know there's a there's a three track run i mean actually honestly half the songs on this album i would sort of classify as sort of slower hip-hop songs Mm -hmm. um you know girls 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 heart of the city never change song cry uh those i mean those are all pretty slow tracks but tracks that i just really fell in love with uh right away and didn't they didn't take you know, multiple listens for me to get into them. I was just, I was in right away. Uh, you know, tons of really great upbeat tracks. Um, I think we, we mentioned when you talked about it, the, the last track, you know, it's, it's maybe not my favorite, but I can make a case for, for being my favorite just because of how unique it is. Um, we talked about takeover, uh, Ola Vito, you don't know. Those are, those are bangers if you're in the car um and then some of these can just be played you know if you're just chilling around your house and want to kind of have a mellower mood um it's just it's a really versatile album did his next album make the list best of both worlds with uh Mark <laughs> that's topic yeah, that's, that's actually not yeah it is <laughs> i actually liked that um quite a bit. I, I didn't mind it i mean <laughs> i mean this I when, you know when when uh best of both worlds can't, comes out like I'm in a, a just a complete Jay Z. Like I, he could have released anything, and I would have bought yeah, it same. immediately. And uh, you know, I bought Jay Z Unplugged immediately. I, I, that's that's a pretty great album if you're into to live albums. Uh, the Roots Band playing behind him in that one, basically playing half of Blueprint on, on that album. But yeah, I mean, he was he was definitely in a hot streak, and and maybe flew too close to the sun with that that R Kelly album. But um, had some bangers on it though. I really did. But yeah. R. I don't Kelly. know how well it holds up. R. Kelly yeah. taking a what a guy taking a taking a bit of a spill, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Well, we'll be back with number six next week. Thank you guys for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire.
No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.